My name's Tyler, um, and I have the honor of sharing with you this morning um, the word of our Lord. And um, uh, let me tell you, I just, I hope and I pray that what he has to say through me completely and wholly for the sake of drawing us nearer into his presence uh, and and convicting us in a way that um, just brings us to our knees and bows before him. Um, just because he's so worthy of that. Um, and uh, so let's bow our heads uh, before I get to uh, making a fool of myself. Uh, let's orient our hearts um, to worship him this morning. If you could pray with me. Um, Lord Jesus, we, we come before you right now as just a group of broken people. As a group of people that desperately need you. That desperately need your love. We need your grace. We need this gospel For us to really live. For us to truly love. For us to truly understand what our lives were meant to be for. And this morning, I just pray that we um, can have soft hearts. That we can accept this gospel. That we can be um, challenged by it. And that it's true to us. And that it eventually changes the way we live. The way we love and the way we go out into this world. And we just love you, Jesus. Prepare our hearts for this message. Um, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Perfect. Well, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open uh, with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. I'll have it on the board or on the projector or whatever. Um, but always love that printed Bible. It's a good, hefty, hefty thing. Good to have around. Um, we're going to be camping out in Colossians 3 uh, for most of our time this morning. And hey, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you see one around you um, in underneath the chairs, not your neighbor's Bible, that's their personal Bible. I mean, they might want to give it to you, but I wouldn't just snag it out of their lap. Um, but just take that Bible, read it, soak it in, saturate yourself in it. Um, we here at Bethany, we take uh, this book seriously. We, we take it as the inspired truth of God, the word of God, and it changes things for eternity. Um, so we take it very seriously. Um, and the great C.S. Lewis, he says this. I don't know if you've heard this quote before, but he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That is why we read this book. That's how we read this book. Because it's true. It's our lens to see the things around us. So now through this lens of scripture, how might we view the world around us? That's the, the main question. The people around us. How, we, how do we do something with this Bible? Well, I think one of the best examples for us today is, well, today. New Year's Eve, right? Millions upon millions of people take today to put an end to whatever life choices they've been making or have not been making. And they take on this ultimate task of um, by doing such things repetitively or avoiding some things overall. Thinking a certain way more often that over time if I just do this thing my life will be overall improved somehow. From where I am right now because where I am right now is no good. Does sound a little biblical to me. And, and guys, that's, that's awesome. We're, we're built to desire fruitful lives. 
Lives that are productive, lives that are impactful to the world around us. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that when we, find, we, we can find a sense of purpose when we start doing certain things, or we start building things, or we start impacting the world by what we're doing, we find purpose in that. Doesn't it just feel good? Like when you start something and you finish it, and praise God, it might be like kind of good. That brings us joy. It brings us accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment. The only part of the equation that we we have wrong sometimes is our method and our source for change in our lives. So if you're anything like me, uh, my method consists of talking a certain way around certain people, thinking a certain way more often just so I'm like overall a happier person. That's how sometimes I'll do it. I often tell myself like, oh, you can do this. You're, you're not a failure teller. You can, you're more than enough. You, you, um, you have what it takes. And I like to coach myself through life sometimes. And um, I'll just have you know that I make a really lousy life coach. I really do. It's just the truth. And the result of this method of encouraging myself, filling myself up, and motivating myself is a change that's just completely sourced out of myself. And my friends, it was never meant to be like that. We all make really terrible life coaches, to be honest. Because discipline and perseverance or any sort of change in our lives can never come into fruition if we are able to do it on our own. Because the left alone, we make every beautiful thing in this world filthy. We just do. And uh, the longing um, for the change in our lives and the desire to find joy and strength and disciplines just woven into us in a beautiful way. And this beautiful thing in our lives immediately becomes filthy when we start making the method and the source ourselves. But the good news is that we're not alone. We're not just here to die and rot and make things terrible around us. We're not here um, just to let this all happen on its own. Let's look at the true source of change. Let's look at this true method of change that's presented to us in Scripture. Let's go to the passage at hand. We're in Colossians 3. We're going to be going through um, 1 through 17. It's a lot of verses. I know. Um, We're just going through about half the chapter. Wouldn't do the full chapter. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Um, Not today, at least. Uh, But seriously, I just want to go verse by verse through Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And while we do so, I'd encourage you to just soak in how ridiculously legit this passage is. Like, seriously, you'll see here in a second. But um, watch how Paul lays out his argument. And how each part of the passage kind of creates a stepping stone for the next part. And he puts it very straightforward. You guys ready? You there? If not, I'm there. I'm quick. Look at that. All right. So let's begin in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and, and put, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, Scythian. There's no slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, guys, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that was a lot. I understand. Um, That's a whole lot of information. That was kind of like tasting like the world's greatest cheeseburger with the blindfold on. So let's, I want to take a step back. I want to take the blindfold off. I want to look at the key ingredients that made up this beautiful and tasty meal that's set before us right now. So verse one, it says this, then if, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let's pause there. Let's get a little bit of context that, like, what's going on in this passage. So Paul, he's writing to the Colossians, obviously, in, in which he didn't, uh, he probably didn't plant this church. But he's writing to them, knowing who they are and knowing that they follow Jesus. And he wants to um, instruct them on how to follow Jesus faithfully and lovingly. And if you pay close attention to what Paul is um, writing, you see that he's writing primarily against false teaching that was... Uh, coming about within the Colossian church. And that teaching was heavily in, heavily influenced by the, the heresy known as Montanism. And in this teaching, people basically, basically um, believe that they, they were given a sort of prophetic element that transcends and has authority over like the teachings of Jesus. Basically, there's this appetite that had emerged in them for something more than the crucified and risen Jesus, basically. So they think like God spoke through Jesus this way and had him do these things and had his people do these things. But God told me to do these things contrary to what Christ was saying, contrary to how Christ was living. And guess what? It's just true. If not even more true. But that's a lie. And this is weighty stuff. This is heavy stuff. Like this, this is what marks true biblical Christianity from like the Latter-day Saints. The Mormon faith tradition. Or the Islamic faith tradition. 
Because nothing in scripture allows for people like Joseph Smith to come along or like the prophet Muhammad to come along and enlighten themselves and to add their own take on the Christian faith and for it to actually be true. There's nothing in scripture that allows it. Because you see in those faith traditions, the crucified and risen Jesus isn't enough. And that's where they fall short. Paul reminds us in this text that Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. That we literally cannot do anything to save ourselves. I want to look at this quote from R.C. Sproul, who just passed away a couple weeks ago, but um, he's with the Lord, so that's awesome. And, And this is what he says pertaining to saving ourselves. God just doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and he pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him up on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life and makes him alive. We didn't have a chance. We were already dead in our sin. God won't give you something to just handle your sin. He gives you life when you were already dead in it. And so Paul does not mess around with this stuff at all in this passage. He attacks this false teaching by highlighting the the centrality, how central Jesus is. How central he is in, in being the only source of God's saving activity. And by doing so, he emphasizes that those who belong to Christ need only to draw nearer to him. He's our only hope. Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't get anything on him. Thank you. And so Paul jumps right into it with Colossians, the whole book. In the first two chapters of the book, he, uh, he's talking about Christology. He's saying, like, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done. Here's what makes Jesus the Messiah um, and, uh, and the Savior that the world has been waiting for. And he's, and he's qualified because Paul says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is who Christ is. He is the fullness of God. Like he's not partially God where he can just do some magic tricks in front of his friends. He's not partially God that he's just like the Holy Spirit floating around with what looks like skin on. He is fully God. And we also just celebrated that he's fully man. And God himself actually became humbled to the point of entering the earth as a baby but also to the point of dying on the cross. And we're going to see that this means everything. It absolutely means everything. So this is who Jesus is. But now in chapter three, where we're at, we get insight on who his people are. So in light of the gospel, in light of this awesome news of Jesus, here's how somebody responds to it. So in essence, Christian behavior follows and it becomes a result of, well, being a Christian, following Jesus. Let's continue on reading. 
He said, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So since we've been raised with Christ, we seek the things that are above. Where, where Christ is, we also, ought to set, we also ought to set our minds on those things, as Paul says. Like, like set our minds in them, like in terms of marinate in them. Like become saturated in his word. I've heard it been, I've heard it been said once um, that when you cut me, I want to bleed truth. I want to bleed his scriptures. I want it to just ooze out of my mouth. I want to just portray his truth into the world in a way that is so intense. And when I talk, I want to sing beautiful praise. And when I move, I want his kingdom to advance. Set your minds on the things that are above. And so Paul begins by offering this super loud, this meaty exhortation to us. Or to the Colossians in the passage. And he says, if you've participated in Christ's resurrection, in his glory, in his life, in any way at all, you're going to even just as much participate in his death. And then Paul just unloads. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There, this isn't an exhaustive list. By any means. Paul, Paul isn't trying to list every sin that exists. I think he's speaking directly towards what the Colossians are struggling with at that time. And, but the funny thing is, is that the same things that these people are struggling with 2,000 years ago and wherever, um, in Mediterranean, whatever. Um, and he, those people are um, struggling with the same exact things that we're struggling with today. And I love what Paul um, does here. He picks out these obvious things that everyone would agree to be sinful, like uh, immorality, impurity, wickedness, idolatry. But he starts listing off these really like subtle things, like anger, malice, and lying to one another. And so he's basically going on uh, and making a list to where anybody in this room right now doesn't get off clean. Like if I asked everybody to to raise their hand if you've committed any of these uh, sins, I'd expect it to look like a stadium doing the wave in here right now. And I'll start it right here. We're all guilty. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. 
So whether you grew up in the church, you know every good verse that every good Christian would know. Or you have absolutely no idea what it means to be in a, like a relationship with Jesus, but you know some stuff about Christian living. These things aren't a surprise. It's obvious that they're bad. And so Christians behave this way, and Christians do not behave this way. If you have been raised with Christ, we do these things and not these things. And it may very well be that everybody in this room um, may not have checked off every li- sin on this list. Probably not, but it's, it's clear that this passage, um, that there's no particularity with sin. It doesn't just gravitate towards one person more than it does with another person. And Paul doesn't take the subject lightly. He says, when it comes to sin, you are either dead with it or alive without it. And when it comes to being without it, he says we're hopelessly in need of Jesus to get us to that place. R.C. He calls sin cosmic treason. He says this, when people violate the laws of men in a serious way, we speak of their actions, um, not merely as misdemeanors, but in the final analysis as crimes. In the same regard, our actions of rebellion and transgression of the law of God are not seen by him as mere misdemeanors. Rather, they are felonous. They are criminal in their impact If we take the reality of sin seriously in our lives, we we see that we commit crimes against a holy God and against his kingdom. Our crimes are not virtues, they're vices. And any transgression of a holy God is vicious by definition. It's not only until we understand who God is that we gain any real understanding of the seriousness of our sin. And we all have. We all have stepped into this room going through something that day by day is killing us uh, as we may not even know it or be aware of it. It's woven into our beings because we're, we're sinful by nature. And what I'm referring to is what um, John Calvin and the reformers uh, during the Protestant Reformation would call total depravity. Total depravity means... Radical corruption. It means that I and everyone else are depraved or corrupt in the totality of our being. That there's no part of us that is left that's untouched by sin. Our minds, our wills, our bodies are affected by evil. When you think this way, it shouldn't surprise us that there's evil in the world. And to think that you've arrived here this morning without going wrong once or finding error in yourself, if you don't think you have that, I'm going to tell you this in love and in truth that you're a fool. Because we all have. These are not my words. But God's Ephesians 2, 1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 7, 23, we are held captive to the law of sin. We are by nature children of wrath. It is abundantly clear that we by nature have no desire to do good, even when it seems like it's a good deed. 
Outside of the gospel and the righteousness of God, our good deeds are flawed and they'll never bring real healing and true love into the world. So what do we do with our sin? That's what I want to know. I want to know what to do with this stuff that's killing me. Paul says, put it to death. Theologian John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This simply does not imply get a hold of your sin and manage it when it gets out of control. This, this doesn't mean it comes, you can let it come as close as you want it to just so it's not as much of a danger. It doesn't mean you lock it up in a kennel so it's not as dangerous to you. No, sin is a carnivore and it's going to eat you at any opportunity it's given. So can, sin cannot be tamed. It cannot be managed. It has to be shot between the eyes and burned to the ground. It has no place in our lives. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's that simple. Be killing lust or it will be killing you. Be killing your addiction to porn or it will be killing your future relationship with your spouse or your current. Be killing anger or it will be killing you. Be killing whatever it is that's keeping us from the presence of Jesus or that thing's going to be killing us. And you want to know what the biggest lie that you could ever hear is? That you're not able to be set free from the bondage of sin for the rest of your life. That you're inevitably going to mess up again. That you might slip and watch a quick video that you're not supposed to watch. Or you might slip and get a little high with your friends. If you think that you're not able to be set free from those sins because you've tried in the past and it didn't work, then you never knew Jesus as your savior. You didn't let him save you from it. And I'm so passionate about this and I care so much about it because this was me. With all areas of my life, whether it was lust, whether it was anger, Addiction, pride, you name it. I would constantly lie to myself in thinking that I'm not ever going to give up this thing because I've tried in the past and I've failed. Who says it won't happen again, right? But guys, that's not just trial and error. That's a miserable life. One that never feels adequate enough for your friends, for your family, or for school. That's a life of anxiety because I carried the weight of my sin and every time I tried to kill it with my own works or my own weapons, I would just tick it off even more. And it would start affecting the way I viewed people, the way I viewed myself, and ultimately the way I viewed God. Because statistically speaking, I failed every single time in giving those things to Jesus. But guys, Jesus sets us free from those things. And even furthermore, he's the one that kills them. Because he doesn't ever want us to live in it anymore. 
And regardless of where you fall in this sin picture, there's just one answer. Christ and him crucified. He is in all. He is for all. There is one hope that we all share, and that's Jesus. So if you're living in such a way that cries out that you don't need God because you've obeyed all the rules and you don't have any sin in your life, your only hope is Christ in his cross. And if you've lived in such a way that you don't need Jesus because I'm just going to break all the rules, your only hope is Jesus. Regardless of whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're cool or you're not cool, Regardless of where you fall on the grid, there is one hope, and it is Christ and him crucified. It's all we've got, but it's more than enough. And I know I've been looking at all the bad news. I, sorry. <laughs> about sin, about death, and all that. And I only want to look at it because I want to know how ugly and how repulsive my sin is so I can know the extent of how far Jesus had to go to wipe it clean. And that's real. And this is where we're at in this passage. Paul has given us this wonderful appeal to seek the things that are above and to put to death what is earthly in us and to put off our old selves. And now he says what? Put on the new self. It's refreshing. And oh man, this is good news. He says, put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You know what this means? It means that Jesus makes change possible. Like deep, fundamental change in a person's life. He can do that. He makes it tangible to us. Because of Jesus, it's, it's possible to become soft-hearted. When you once were angry or a bitter person because of Jesus, it's possible to stop being dominated by your anxiety and your fear of failure. Because of Jesus, it's possible to become a loving person no matter what your upbringing was. He is what puts hope where there is none. He brings life to the most desolate places. And as we bring our time here to an end, I just want to read the, the last part of the passage kind of as an exhortation to us all. And I want to recognize that we may have New Year's resolutions and hopes to change our lives in a temporary way. But I ask of you guys, I, I plead of you 
that this passage may move you to change your life in an eternal way. In a way that uh, leads towards ever-increasing life, towards ever-increasing joy and love and purpose in Jesus. Guys, he loves us too much to leave us in the sin that's killing us. Let's read this. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you. I pray that our hearts... That you, can, that you can break them into tiny pieces so that you can clean out all of the mess that's in it. And that you can just completely put your heart in ours. Lord, I want to love the people the way that you love them. Lord, I want to serve people the way that you serve them. I want to be able to forgive people. Because Lord, left to myself, I would never want to do that stuff. But you, seeing where we are in our sin, seeing where we are in our lives, you say, no, I want that. I want you. I don't want the sin that defines us. I want you. So Lord, I pray that this morning we can worship you with all of our hearts. Pray that we can lift your name the way that it was always meant to be lifted. I pray that we can give you the praise that you're due. We love you, Jesus. We come before you right now humbly and and with all of us. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer or anything, I'll be up here.